0: Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karris. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis.
1: Welcome to Resiliency Within, and I want to also let our listeners know that we're also live streaming on Facebook um, at the Resiliency Within Facebook page. And I am so pleased to share with you today that my guest is my dear friend and colleague, Michael Sapp. He's a psychologist, and he's the CEO of the Trauma Resource Institute. Now, it is not a... um, (laughs) (laughs) we do not hide that Mike and I are great aficionados of the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. And we did a show, um, I guess about a year and a half ago, um, about our, um, I guess our, our love of Ted Lasso and how much it helped us during the pandemic to have the positive image. And I think even just the the uh, the sign to see that in my mind's eye, believe, believe that life could get better, believe that we could get through things that were difficult. So today, Mike and I will reflect on the on pressing contemporary issues. you know, that the Trauma Resource Institute, we have been working with the Ukrainian colleagues during the most terrible war there. You know, there's words and there's concepts that we're hearing like wokism. You know, we have discussions about gun violence, but we really wanted to talk about these, all these things in the context of healing and forgiveness and kind of tossing in the wisdom of our favorite characters of Ted Lasso. Um, and we're gonna do that now. So let's I wanna start out though by talking about um the word woke, because you know I've I've heard this word for so long. But it's not until recently that I feel that it's become weaponized. But um, I'm going to just start by the working definition of woke is it's not politicized, but rather a word that has been used as far back as the 1900s to mean being conscious of racial discrimination in society and other forms of oppression and injustice. You know, that the phrase woke, it was... Um, I mean, the word uh, woke was used um, to encourage critical thinking about social issues and injustices. And, you know, again, it's been slowly morphed into meaning other things as well. Um, There's a long tradition of, of, of saying the word, I think I've been, I've awakened to something. Um, I think I have this new insight, Mike, about something that's happened to me in my life. And now it's changing the way that I think and in some ways, I feel like I was—I had blinders on and didn't know that it existed. I think that we saw that after the death of George Floyd. And I think we also so, saw that with the Me Too movement when we really started in a deeper way addressing gender and se- sexual violence issues, for example. And so then I, I wanted to see, well, what does Awaken mean in terms of Um, let's say, some of the religious texts. So I I dove into the Bible. I was raised um, um, in a Christian church as a child, and and there were some words that came about. And one of them was from Deborah in Judges, where she calls upon herself to awake to the fervor of eloquence of poetry, a very positive thing. Um, Zion's awakening to moral vigor and beauty, of waking from a spiritual death into a new awakening of spiritual Aliveness and health, and then I think probably the most telling one is is awakening from the grave into res- resurrection. Um, but then, of course, let's take a look at Buddha. So this is from the ri- a writing that's called "The Meaning of the Buddha's Awakening." Um, from I don't I'm probably not going to sp- say it correctly, but from Thinisaro, um Baku, and he sa- he says this: the two crucial aspects of the Buddha's awakening are the what and the how, when he awakens to and how he did it. Because awakening is special in that the two aspects come together. He awakened to the fact that there is an undying happiness and that it can be attained through human effort. So as we begin our discussions today, you can see that I've w- been wanting to give you some uh, definitions. And when I think about, you know, so many of the also in, in um, Christian scriptures about, cultivating happiness, and the awakening into happiness um, from despair, and hearing the words of Buddha. And that we know that many of the other traditions also have ideas about awakening, as well as, um, you know, suffering and coming from suffering. So I think our intention today was to use this lens of Ted Lasso, that we certainly love those characters, but also that I think this is a time when I would like to de-weaponize our languaging. Um, When I hear about uh, groups being marginalized, people from the LGBTQAI um, community, for example, it worries me that there could be an increase in discrimination and hate crimes. I think that's already happened. And how can we, as an enlightened, healthful community, whether we're liberals or conservatives or in the middle, how can we work from this place I guess I'll say, as Ted Lasso said, believe and believing that we can create a society that there is space and room for all of us in kind of love and compassion. So, Mike, saying that, I'm over to you as we've had these discussions about what are your thoughts about this as we get started today?
2: Well, I love that we're not holding back from the deep, (laughs) the deep, deep questions because I think this is something clearly that we as humans have been talking about for thousands of years. I mean, I'm glad that you're referencing the the sacred texts from different faith perspectives, because this is not a new question. This is not a new struggle. This has been something that's been happening for, uh, it feels like, as long as we've been around. And so the idea that, and and I thought of that even in the context of what's happened in, in the U.S. within the last few years with the pandemic. And like you said, this kind of increased societal unrest that that those things that we are awakening to have been present. It's not like George Floyd, Floyd's murder was uh, something new and unprecedented. It's for some reason that seemed to be something that lifted the scales from certain people's eyes. and I, And I think in a good way, enabled us to start talking about things and engaging in a different way, uh, except, you know, not to be in a slumber. And so I just think, so I think of that in terms of, my goodness, I think that's where we've started talking about. And and it seems almost, uh, I, I really try to say this respectfully. That's why I think for whatever reason that show, Telasso, spoke to me so dearly and so deeply and continues to is because it came out during a time when all of those deep, Awful, horrific events and things were were also prevalent. And it offered for me an example. It, it offered for me somewhere where I could go to see something that I 100% believe in as far as what I think can contribute to solutions and healing and, um, and a greater capacity for compassion. Um, amidst all of the suffering that we're seeing as well. And so I just I just felt like it was it, it, it was a, a t- not a tool, but at least something that I, I could look at and say, oh, okay, it doesn't shy away from the negativity. It just offers what, what in our model, the community resilience model, the trauma resilience model, at our organization we talk about what else is also true. And being able to hold the what else is also true amidst the suffering I think is really, really uh, crucial.
1: And I think that comes, I'm going to, I'm going to say one of the quotes, because I think both of us have prepared a number of quotes from Ted Lasso, but there's, there's one um, scene where, um, someone where they're talking about hope. And, and so there's the comment that it's the hope that kills you. You all know that, but Ted Lasso says, I disagree. You know, I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. And I think that we have seen that pretty much internationally that everywhere we've gone during some of the times that have been the most despairing for humans, that we have seen this hope arise. And when we talked about reflections of war, in the last um, in the last uh, month, the Trauma Resource Institute has been um, conducting a community resiliency model teacher training for about um, 33 Ukrainians from ver- a number of different sectors of life. And I have to say that I have been so... Um, I guess I can get very emotional talking about them because during the hardest of times, I have seen this them have a hope for their people that is just awe-inspiring. And I'll give you one example. We were, um, last week, they were doing their student teaching. They're actually doing st- student teaching on Zoom. And we were, uh, the, one of the teachers was about to start, uh, the student teachers, and all of a sudden her internet gets a little sketchy. And then there's a sound and then in a, just a, a couple seconds, she's back and she goes, "Oh, she goes. The siren just went on because there's uh, there's shelling," and and I said, "Oh, I please, you know, we can pause, we can reschedule this. Do you need to get off to get to a place of safety?" She goes, "No, I think it's okay now. I can continue." I said, "Are you sure it's really fine with me if you don't want to do this right now?" She said, "She said no," and then there was a, a conversation that we had with a group with the group. And because one of the questions was that as when the flood happened um, and the dam was um, was destroyed and many people had lost their lives and their homes. And there was also increased shelling in um, Kharkiv, which many of our participants lived in. I said, you know, I, I started out the day by saying, you know, we can pause. And I said, and we can and and they actually in unison told me through our wonderful translator that they had to continue, that learning the skills of our model was giving them hope of something that they could do that was so positive and so helpful and healing for not only themselves, because they had already experienced that, but many of them, one of them shared that she was going to be working in a, in a settlement in a center where there were going to be, um, Um, soldiers coming there from the war for a respite. And she knew a lot of them were like in that situation of shell-shocked and she knew that these skills could help them. So for her, it was imperative, regardless of the risk to them and regardless of their own suffering, that they wanted to continue to learn the skills to bring more hope to their community. And so when I think back to Ted Lasso again, believe, believe even during the hardest times that I can bring some very small um nuggets of hope and of happiness. And in that way, that I think that we do that through the community resiliency model. And that has great meaning for a person's life, even in the midst of some of the darkest hours.
2: And I think that quote, I'm so glad you brought that quote in. I didn't think about that quote is because within the context of, I mean, and this is what I love about the show, you know, I'm a you know, I'm a huge English Premier League fan. I love watching soccer and uh, non-American football, I guess I could say. And sure. um, and that phrase, that that quote was done because that's what oftentimes fans will say. It's the hope that kills you because every season we pour hope into a team that we want to achieve and overcome and, and come in first. And then you, you may follow a team that doesn't do that consistently. And so no matter what, It feels like, oh, why do I pour so much hope into this uh, team that seems to underperform, seems to never deliver? You know, and and that was, I think, the context of that quote. And to your point, I think that's what is so profound to me about that quote is that, and what I I think is so profound about the show is it takes something, it takes the, the the football, the footballing world, and uses it to illustrate the larger themes. And I think in that way, no matter how many times humans disappoint us, and boy. There's no shortage of that, <laughs> and they do, and they do, and
1: we, and we disappoint ourselves exactly. I think that's part of it because for me, seeing the the seeing Ted Lasso in the beginning and ha- having come there and then learning that his wife was leaving him, and to me, when I think about awakening, I think about his awakening of, at the end of the show. And this is a spoiler alert if anybody hasn't seen the final. Um, and
2: you should probably mute from here on out. That,
1: right <laughs> is that. Um, he decides what's important to him. Of course, he loves the, the team and the people that he met. But what's most important to him is his son, his family. And so he went back to his son. And I, to me, it makes total sense. So even though I do want the show to continue. That's
2: disappointing.
1: <laughs> is that it was, and if I had to say for myself, what is the most important thing to me as much of the work that I do in the world, I'd have to say my family and I, Mike, I, knowing you so well, I can't imagine you'd say something differently. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's it. I think that's the, so again, going back to what you said about the Ukraine, I just think that's the hope, you know, if if uh, that's so profound to me that that's what they see, they, that in, in that context, they can see that hope because they're looking at how can we not only survive and, uh, and operate here. But these are the people we're training are teachers, right? They're looking at how can we, how can we help our family? How can we help our friend? Because that's, that's their value, right? That's where they see the importance. And so how can we do that even now in the midst of all this conflict? And then how can we set it up so that when this conflict ends, we are, we are ready to then offer additional healing, healing for our communities, for our families, for our friends, you know? And so their value is driving them to attend these meetings. And, and under circumstances that of course we're, we're going. are you sure? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I would go, I think I would go to the shelter, not continue, but then I don't know what it's like Right. in a position that, you know, people that you love are losing their lives. You're, um, and you're fearful for your children and, and how things are going to be when people that you love come from the front and are back for a while before they go back again. I mean, I think, you know, in America, we've had, of course, that experience with the wars that we've been involved with in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this experience of being with people that are in war, they're not going someplace there. It's in their country has Probably um, given me a, reflections about my own life in ways that have been unimaginable, and and you know, as great as the suffering is, but also hopeful in terms of just how I see them rise to the occasion of helping each other.
2: Well, and I think about that too in the context of of the work that we get to do within communities. Um, where violence is is pretty characteristic as well they may not be in an act of war but they're in you know we have so many trainings and so many people taking our trainings to help uh, provide that hope and healing to communities that are marked by uh, violence uh, oppression and you and and many of those things and so i think that i see what we get to do and who we get to work with not only in ukraine but also throughout different parts of the world where um again we get to see you know they're living with the worst that humanity has to offer as well but then able to find the what else is also true and the hope to say we got to keep pressing forward we can't we need to continue to operate and and uh find that hope and healing so that we can affect change and i think that's the piece that I keep coming back to. I know uh, you and I have talked about this. I know uh, oftentimes Kevin McLeod and I, our director of, ed- uh, of uh, development, will often talk about how do we stay engaged in these dialogues, in these fights to effect change, um, especially to systems that um, seem so big and oppressive and continue to be hard to change. But that, and again, that's what I love about this show: is it doesn't. Yes, it's a show about a, a, a an American, you know, American football coach coming over and coaching non-American football. And and so the there is the potential for that just being a one trick pony, but it expands and it looks at how do we affect change in a in a hierarchy. I mean, I love that. I think that's what I loved about Nate's character is you saw the, that hierarchy, that that system that could be in place where someone at the very bottom the, the kit boy, uh, is mistreated constantly and is, uh, and, and even as he rose through the ranks to have those microaggressions and macroaggressions continue. And, and then again, in the show to see what can that look like? How can it be different? It doesn't just say, Hey, this is how society is. It says, this is how society is, but what could it look like? And that, that's the, to me, the, the, the joy of the show is it doesn't just Shine a light on the, the ills of society. It also provides an opportunity, an, an example of what it could look like if we operated differently.
1: Well, and I'm going to come back to awakening because right, Nate, Nate, Nate character. In our first show we did about this, we talked about we we were not like angry angry at Nate. We thought mm-hmm. that Nate Nate had experienced so many um, so much discrimination in his life that it was, he projected onto Ted Lasso a a lot of what he expected in a certain way to get back from him. And we knew that there was a bewilderment in Ted Lasso about why is this happening? So there's a few things that I want to say about Nate. First of all, that he really did seek forgiveness and asked to be forgiven in terms of the way that he had treated Ted. But I also think that there were some things towards Nate when the beard went to Nate and he told his life story, because that's the first time we heard from the Beard, that he in fact was, um, he had been in jail, that Ted Lasso had believed in him. Even at a time when he might've been imprisoned again, Ted stood for him, and that he had been by Ted's side every single minute. And at that, after that, in terms of jobs, et cetera, et cetera and that he realized that he also had to extend to Nate the same kind of forgiveness and support that Ted Lasso had given to him. And that interchange to me was one of the most powerful moments in all the three years of Nate and the beard together. I don't know if you want to comment on that because Uh, uh, I was like like crying my eyes out watching that, that particular.
2: Uh, Absolutely. Because what I love about that whole story arc is what is perceived by coach beard and the other players and, and probably Ted himself was a betrayal right? For, for Nate to reach up, pull down the the sacred believe sign and rip it in half, right? That, you know, it was almost like there was an audible gasp, right? And, and, and I think coach Beard felt uh, really protective of Ted, right? He's always been really protective of Ted. And so if you cross my person, you are dead to me, right? You're, you're, your my aggression is going to be facing that direct, right. And that you're going to be the object of my aggression. And that's what was happening with coach beard. And yet Ted, you know, I got to quote Ted here because I think this is such a great quote. That and I gave, know what you're
1: going to quote. And it's right? my it's like one of my very, very favorite quotes. Go ahead.
2: So he says to coach beard, I hope that either all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments, but rather the strengths that we show when, and if we are ever given a second chance." I mean, again, this, this idea Well, forgiveness is this idea that just permeates the whole, I think the whole, probably all three seasons, but especially so season three. And there's something about that, that I think turns for coach, because then he starts to recognize his own flaws, his own, his own in his history times where he betrayed head and was given a second chance. And so he started to see himself in Nate. That that's my opinion. Well, and, and and in that exchange was able to, I think, ultimately able to forgive Nate for that what he felt was a betrayal, and and I and I love that scene where Nate just goes, maybe you should just headbutt me and get it over with. We'll probably both feel better, <laughs> you know. And I just there was that sweet scene where he takes he, off his hat t- or turns it backwards and he just leans his head in, and I just go, oh,
1: well I'm, I'm so just it's really important they lean their, their heads in together, but in the sweetest gentlest most loving way i mean talk about getting the reconnection physically yep that was even more so than the words if i think of that moment, i just have tears coming into my eyes right now as i'm thinking about it but i i also want to say a few things about colin because i think colin was in the closet in the team and you could, could we saw the back scene of his suffering and then he had that encounter with Trent, who became his mentor. And I think that the Ted Lasso show is also full of mentors, people that have wisdom to give to people that are suffering and struggling. And I think that was one of the main themes of the show, um, because when people started to do that, that could also show them a certain awakening. Oh, I mean, you're like me. Oh, so what did you do? How did how could... And then all of a sudden that relationship developed. And even though it was so difficult for Colin and his best friend, who he had never revealed this to, and his certainly his best friend did not act very well in the beginning. But what did happen is they came together. And that what was important to both of them was he felt, and I can't remember the captain's name. All of a sudden, Isaac. Isaac, that Isaac says, but you didn't tell me. You know it was like what he was upset about more so that again there is that also assumption that it was about being gay but it was really that you didn't you didn't respect me enough or think that i could you could share the news with me and i still wouldn't care for you and then to see them the two of them you know like being guys together watching whatever they were watching football i think they were
2: playing a a video game
1: (laughs) or playing a video game and having that moment and then also the things that the team did to come together in support of colin that said, you are one of us. That I thought, again, the themes that are happening in our press, showing what could be in terms of having space for all of us to be there. And when we love someone and they're our friend and there's something that they've been holding back and that they can finally share it with us, how we can have moments of gratitude and and kindness and, and an openness for an awakening, I should say, in a, in a way of being that is promoting our health and well-being.
2: Well, and and, to, and and looking at that as an example of, I think, one of the most effective ways of if we're going to try to dismantle systems that are oppressive, think about how that system of soccer, of, of masculinity and what it means, quote unquote, to be a masculine athlete and how that can shape Colin's perception of, oh, I can't possibly disclose that to anybody here. They wouldn't accept me. To be able to see it on a on a very small scale, on a one-to-one scale. And like you said, having that mentor of Trent come in and help mentor Colin and give him the strength and support. But that Trent was influenced by who? Ted Lasso, right? That that he was so fascinated by Ted, right? So anyway, on a smaller scale, and then to see how that can expand and expand, and expand. It's almost like a grassroots work. Yeah, but I,
1: but I also want to say, too, that even though I know that Ted Lasso did influence Trent, there is always something about Trent. That had such a, a an air of stability yes. that he recognized the he recognized what um, Ted Lasso was all about and that yes. came Trent not yes that, that Ted La- I absolutely don't say, oh Ted Lasso made Trent the way he is no, oh no
2: no he tapped Trent into really
1: like that it's that yeah. he saw a brother yes was like him and he wanted to amplify that
2: um, we're going to talk- within a context that you don't normally see
1: that no you don't normally see that and i remember that first season i'm going oh that Trent's just going to totally you know smash him and then when ted lasso ate that that um that particular meal that was so spicy it was it was an indian meal i believe and then he actually asked for more even though it gave him great distress out (laughs) of respect to the owner of the restaurant that had welcomed him him in and i think i can just see trent going who is this guy that right. has such degree of respect that would take such suffering <laughs> in order to respect this individual? So Mike, we have, I mean, oh my goodness, we could probably do two shows or three shows on this. Cause once we start talking about Ted Lasso, we can't stop, but I want to, we're going to be coming back in just a few minutes. Um, um, we're going to, uh, we're going to take a break. And I want to just say Mike's on the show, that the trauma resource Institute is our sponsor. Go to, traumaresourceinstitute.com and you can learn all about the wonderful things we do in the world as well as make a donation if you'd like to. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk more now about Rebecca and Keely and the amazing oh, and of course the psychologist who's in the last scene of the of the um of the show and the importance of that. We will be back in just a couple minutes to continue this dialogue
2: Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency
3: models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at Resiliency. Within.com. Elaine miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at www.traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience, awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Michael Sapp from the Trauma Resource Institute. He is the, the chief executive officer, so he keeps that ship afloat along with a number of other people that do amazing, I would say amazing work around the world. with With a, It's really a small group of employees that have a large impact on the world, Mike. Yep. So we are talking about Ted Lasso and a lot of the themes of the world today. So as we're coming back, is there anything that's coming to mind that you want to make sure that we that we didn't cover the first the first half?
2: Oh my goodness. There could be like you <laughs> said, we could we could fill multiple shows on 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 this or episodes on this. And so no, I think th- that the you're intending to talk a little bit more about uh, Rebecca now. And, uh, and I think there's, again, extending that conversation about the importance of, of having people around you that can help support this effort. And I think of that in the context of what you just said about our staff. I mean, I think about, yes, while I am uh, one employee of the organization, this organization has been, is being, uh, is being successful because of our staff who are so hardworking, are so mission driven right that are so they just believe in this organization and what we're doing and then all of our uh consultants and independent i mean the the and independent contractors that continue to work with us our board and i just think about i, I, again, I just think about all that goes into running an organization similar to what you see on telassa right all these pieces play the part and when you have people that can help support you and help support your growth and help fill in on some of the weaknesses we may have. It just, um, when we can do it together, boy, it's amazing what happens. And so that's why when I watch that show, it just, you know, it sounds so pie in the sky sometimes when I talk about it. But I don't think it is. I really don't. I just see it operating in real life. It's just that we don't get to see very many examples of it.
1: And and you know, Mike, I think that it was last year that the staff did a little thing for you and called you the Ted Lasso of the Trauma Resource Institute. <laughs> so I know that you were a little embarrassed by that, but I just huge to-
2: compliment. Not sure if it's deserved or not, but I it's uh, I, I just I just love our staff. I do. I, I love what we get to do and and how much we work really hard with each other and to support each other to to do it.
1: Well, I kind of want to segue right now and talk about Rebecca. And, um, so Rebecca, I love what's happened to her and her transformation. And there's one quote that I love that, that she said, I lost my way for a minute, but I'm on the road back. I can diagnose myself in a heartbeat. I thought being invulnerable would protect me. So I pushed people away for years, leading me directly to my greatest fear being alone. And so I think that we saw, as um, she became friends with Ted, and also that she became friends with Keeley, the other key woman woman of the show, that there was um, there were friendships and connections that were made that changed her. And uh, but again, she had that strength inside of her. But I wanted to talk a little bit. You know, I guess I'm going to reference myself a little bit. You know, I'm a woman who started an, um, a nonprofit, um, co-founded. And I have to say that the road has not been an easy one. It's been an incredible one that has brought such joy, um, gratitudes. I mean, all the things, the whole enchilada, as I like to talk about it. But there was one event that I had in my life pretty much in the beginning where I was in a room of very famous people. And I would say it was one of my weakest moments. I mean, I could say that, do I wish I would have done some things differently? Yes. But I think part of it has to do with that fear that as a woman, that I wasn't good enough to be in that room with all those different individuals at that particular time. And there also was a degree, a little bit different, but something that I would call public shaming. And I think that happens to women a lot, where they're minimized, or sometimes um, people say things to them, that maybe they wouldn't say, and I'm Mike, as much as you know, I know that you've always treated me very respectfully, that some men do treat women in very dis- disrespectful ways. So there's a, a scene in the show where she has accepted an invitation to meet with the very powerful all men who run the um, football teams um, in the UK,
2: like the top football teams. It's just a select few, right? Just the the top of the top, top of the exclusive top. kind of, quote unquote, I, what I would say, men's club of of football ownership. Yeah.
1: And she will is going to be the only woman, and she and she's you know lovely. She's beautiful. She walks into the room, and one of the individuals makes a comment about her physical appearance, and so not the fact that she's a brilliant woman, that she's you know taken this um, this franchise to um, one of the, the you know to the peak really of of a football in in our imaginary show of Ted Lasso. Um, and so, and there is there are some moments before going. And I certainly can really relate to this, where she sees herself as she is now, and she looks into a mirror, but who she sees is her younger self. And many of us know that we had younger parts to us where we suffered, and maybe because of the people who cared for us or maybe being bullied or the experiences of life. But in it, she sees the little girl, and then they do kind of the, um, a battle cry together, and you can see the little girl become empowered as she's empowered to go into that room. And when she goes into the room with all the powerful men who who are at, at some point are being um, are deciding to do something that would be contrary to the to the beneficial aspects of football in the UK, she makes the most amazing speech, but what she does is she looks at all these men and she sees them all as little boys. And I have to say that as I look back to my own experience, not to say it was really about me not holding the power that I had, but I think that was the same thing for her, that she and I I don't mean power in a negative thing, but that we women have much to offer, but many times we've been marginalized or we've been shamed, or something has happened, even out of our weaknesses, where we may have been able to do something differently, just like when Rebecca talks about her vulnerabilities, or trying to be invulnerable, which really is is really masking the invulnerabilities that we may experience. So I think that's the other element that was in the show about how we can become empowered even if we've suffered, even if we've had those moments of weakness, even if we've been shamed, even if we oh we could have done things differently, but we didn't, there is that hope that there's change is possible. And I think that we also not only saw that through Rebecca, but we also saw that with Nate and we saw that with other characters and also the relationship that developed between um, um, Keeley and Rebecca because they became the best of friends, and they supported each other through romances and other aspects of their life. And even in, um, you know, one of the scenes that Keely didn't come to her best friend to ask her for money. She said, "Oh, I could never do that. But her best friend came to her and said, "How much do you need?" And then she was able to revitalize her business. But there is that there was that, um, again, that aspect of asking people for support, and maybe looking past our fear, just like she looked past her fear of being alone. Because once she did that, she became so connected to so many people. And even the gentleman that she had met in Amsterdam, that she in a happenstance, main serendipitous way runs into him at an airport. And the very last scene, we see her joining all the wonderful members of the team and the people who run the team um, and the new person she's met is there. I mean, so it was like she was no longer alone and she was able to open herself up enough to have the space of someone who treated her with respect.
2: Well, <clears throat> and two things to me about that, because I, I thought I agree with you. I think that that scene in the in that room with all those men and, and her at that table, I thought was probably one of my top 10 scenes of of all three episodes because it didn't shy away from her. It, it, it. It didn't shy away from what we might expect. It. She was able. She she was able to voice what she needed to voice. She she commanded uh, that room and said what needed to be said. Frankly, right to challenge their continued potential ways of oppressing and taking something that is more pure and trying to, to, um, use, you know, their greed infects that right. And, and taking it away. And I just loved her whole speech about that was so fantastic. And in any other show, you might see them leave the room nice and Oh, great. They're not going to do it. But that guy that, that, that wanted the meeting and wanted to do that, he exploded. Now you didn't see that but he leaves the room and you see that all of his food, he's, thro- he's basically thrown a tantrum, right? And, and she's splattered with food. They're all splattered with food. And so it, to me, it illustrates, you know what? When we stand up, when we say the things that need to be said, it's not going to, it may not be clean. We may not get the exact, you know, it's not like we can do this in impassioned, logical, reasonable response that's, that makes sense that is the right thing to do and people are going to magically accept it. We're, it's going to be met with resistance. It's going to be met with, and, but it didn't phase her. She just kind of laughed about it and just said, "Okay, but she, that's what she did." And then that and then that scene with that other gentleman, what was so profound to me about that is they connected in a way that was just genuine. and it was she was being treated with respect by this man. And it it offered another example of a man that wasn't abusive, that wasn't oppressive, that wasn't just looking at her for her physical appearance, but instead treated her as an equal, if not more, and treated her with such respect. And, and so I see that. And of course, I'm raising two teen boys. So I see that example. I go, this is an example. This is what it can look like when you treat people with respect and kindness. And, uh, and so anyway, I agree with you. So then when at the very end, when you get to see them kind of reconnect, that's where you, yes, it's TV. Okay. But that's the stuff I love to see because because that has been true generally in my life is that when I have found that yes standing up for something that's right often in the in the initial outcome is often met with resistance and and trouble but more often than not I have found that if I stick with it I will find people come into my orbit that that also want to stand in that way and I get to feel that support and that and going back to that idea the mentors right that you you highlighted earlier that they're just these various people that come in. So so that being said, I don't know if I can. One thing that Higgins, I want to pull Higgins in real quick because I think it illustrates what you saw, what you talked about with Rebecca and and actually most of the characters. I love this um when he talks about it, it really is about healing. Um when Roy basically says, I I I haven't changed. How can I possibly change? Do people change? Right. And so there's this big discussion about perfection like humans aren't perfect. And so Higgins wraps it up. And I just think so wonderfully, he says, human beings are never going to be perfect, Roy. The best we can do is to keep asking for help and accepting it when you can. And if you keep on doing that, you'll always be moving towards better. And I love that moving towards better. There's just some, to me, there was something profound about just that little description because we aren't perfect. And if we can open ourselves up to help, which I think this whole show, when you start to see uh, various characters, Jamie, Roy, you name it, open themselves up to help, it you see them move toward better. You see them move toward kindness, less aggression, more compassion, which to me, I will I, I will unashamedly describe as better.
1: Well, and I have to say, I want, want to bring in at this point, Dr. Sharon. Oh, yeah. the, the the psychologist who i think in her uh, um in her very direct and kind way was able to be present with the, that gang of guys and help them be able to see other sides of themselves i think it was also important that there was a black therapist a black mentor and that We can use Roy for the example of just even what Higgins said to him and Roy even deciding he was going to become one of the diamond dogs, which was that group of guys that got together to talk about life and stuff. Roy would never have entered into that group of guys when he first started, but I think it was through his relationship to them, but also his interaction with good professional help here. We were, you and I are both psychotherapists and we know that that can make a huge difference in people's lives. And Roy needed help. He, some, he, he had some problems with how he inter- interacted with folks. And at, again, one of the last scenes is his going into Dr. Sharon's office and getting the help that he needed, not only from his friends and and colleagues who now he could be part of that support, but he also knew knew that he needed more than that. And I thought that was an important element that they did also integrate throughout the show, including, I mean, we could do, we probably don't have time to talk all about Jamie, but I guess I'll just mention about Jamie because he, of course, was so, um, such a, oh, tyrant in the beginning, and we saw him soften. And when Roy and Keeley went to his house um, during season three, and his stepdad takes him into his bedroom, and in his bedroom is a poster of Keeley and a poster of Roy. And he says, oh, the posters for the footballers have changed over the years, but never that one, which was the, the photo of Roy. And of course, there is that mentorship again and seeing Roy becoming a mentor of Jamie, who was so completely off the rails for, for the, in the beginning seasons and to see him actually have a moment with his dad who had brutalized him and see his forgiveness as his dad is in an alcohol treatment program. I mean, all these different things of healing and forgiveness and insight, in, insight a um, greater insight, and I'm going to say awakening to the new potentials, not only in themselves, but for the people that they loved, who they didn't know if there could be a difference and a change in them.
2: And I think what I see in Jamie, I think is a wonderful example of where you see someone that was so individualistic, so uh, arrogant um, and selfish in season one, become at the very end, right. The, even, even in the, the deciding play, uh, of the, the last game, giving up becoming the decoy, which was a throwback to to season one, where Ted was trying to teach Jamie to do that, but he refused to do it to then have it result in a success. You know, that that's the other thing that again, showing that, that movement toward better for Jamie was, uh, being a part of a, a greater whole. And not being so selfish, right? And I think that's to me. If I was, it just feels like to me when when we build our life around selfishness, that's where we're going to see the aggression. We're going to see um, all you know the oppression. What we see in the world that we want to change, to, in my opinion, is built around selfishness and is built around fear. And so this whole I, and again going back to Ted. What I love about the show is that they took the main character who could be easily perceived as this everything is good, nothing bad happens to me, and but but don't do that. You know, we got to see Ted also transform. You know, yes, uh, you know what what I appreciated about the character in general, and I I heard this from Jason Sudeikis, the actor and creator of the show, in sixty minute interview. He says to play someone that was kind hearted, that didn't swear like Teflon toward people's negativity or sarcasm was 100% intentional. And I think there was something about, yes, he could have just played that all the way through. And for the most part, he did. But then to be able to see him struggle with panic attacks, to be able to see him struggle with, well, do we really need a therapist, right? But then he went to Dr. Sharon and to see Dr. Sharon's influence on Ted, a profound influence on Ted, right? And then to see, um, not only Ted's influence on Rebecca but also him being open to Rebecca's influence on himself on him and so you just you just see so many examples even in that main character which could have been that the all good and his struggle oh you're on mute Helene sorry
1: something but
2: you know that's the other thing that's just challenging is um that, that I think is so challenging about the shows, it, it, it could have easily veered into toxic positivity where, oh, let's just focus on all the good, but it doesn't. It says, yes, we want to do this. We need to intentionally focus on this. We, we want to do this, but that's in the context of all the other awfulness that's been going on and that is going on. And so to me, going back, it's the, what else is also true.
1: Well, I just have want to say one more quote about Dr. Sharon, because I think, you know, as I think as psychotherapists, we are very much influenced by our clients and we learn from them. So uh, one of their last conversations, she says, I've learned that express, um, thank you uh, to you. She says, I've learned that expressing my vulnerabilities can help my patients with theirs. Um, you know, you really helped me to become a better therapist, Ted. And that's saying something because I was already effing brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and I just love that she's just so real, right? Yeah. That, she, that she could say that. That's yeah. her thing. But you know, as I'm looking at our time here too, I want to make sure that we talk about some of the, one of the one of the last scenes in um, the movie, in the movie, in the show. And you know, there was a lot around the the concept believe. And I understand that many coaches in the United States and and abroad put the, put a belief sign in their, in their locker rooms. But I remember when it was taken down. And it was taken down more than once, but it was ripped into pieces. And the final show, there is a pivotal time in a game and they come back in and Ted's kind of inspiring them. And so it turns out that every single one of the players had taken a piece, I, I don't know if I can say it without crying, of the Believe poster how many times in our lives have we been in a situation where we didn't know we could go further that we had to believe in something that was really hard to believe in and the only way that we got through whatever was happening is because there were other people with us kind of carrying us along other people or sometimes even our faith maybe we didn't even know that that we were being carried on by our faith but later we could look back and say yes so in the show Every single character has put a piece and they have it tucked away in their wallets, in their locker, in their clothes, in special places. So each one of them comes out and puts it down on the table. And within a few minutes, they recreate, mm-hmm. leave. But it actually, to me, is even more beautiful because it has the fractures of life in it. Yeah. And every one of them have come together to put it back together. And as they look at it together and they embrace, Nate is in there too, who was responsible for
2: caring. For it. the first pair. <laughs>
1: That's right, for the first pair. And that even those who had been responsible for creating ruptures could be part of the healing of believing and going forward. It's not always easy to do.
2: Well, and and the fact that that was a that was one sign that was cre- created by Ted one person right that he had this idea he puts it up there and then as a therapist we want the people that we work with to find their own right and so the fact that they they found that so special that they took a piece of that and then made it their own and it represented for them something that then when they were then when they're in trouble as a team they get to come back together reassemble it and then become a whole Not because that sign is magical, but because that idea, that sense of being better, it can be done in community and can be done better in community, I would argue. And so that, again, wonderful.
1: And that brings us to what do we do together, right? The community resiliency model. And that's embedded in our beliefs that when we come together, we can create something beautifully. We can actually heal individually, family, community and that goes out into the larger world. And we have been fortunate, you and I, Mike, to be you know, partners in this endeavor with the Trauma Resource Institute. I guess I'm gonna say maybe we like it so much because it's kind of Ted Lasso in action. And it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> I would, not to say that I look like Rebecca <laughs> or can sing like her, although I'd love to sing like her.
3: <laughs> oh
1: um, But I think that the the characters, every single character in the show Um, embodies I think parts of us as human beings and if we can at times speak our vulnerabilities at times share it with others at times accept help at times know that we're not alone that there are such great possibilities of what we can do not only for ourselves but for our families and for a wider community And, you know, we started this by talking about some of the, the vitriol that happens in society, but I hope that we have awakened people as they've listened to our discussion about the possibilities of being awakened in a different way of how we can have the space of coming together. And Mike, you get the final minute. What do you want to say?
2: You know, I will say my goodness there. What, what else can I say? Um, let me let me offer one last quote from one of my favorite people on this planet, Elaine Miller Harris. <laughs> when we bring awareness to the inner wisdom of our bodies, well-being can grow even in times of great suffering. Moments of gratitude can be seen and sensed.
1: All right, I guess that's what else is true. So, listeners, I hope you come back again. I'll see you next um, next uh, Monday. And again, look around your world, see what else can be true, and. Believe. 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 All right. Until next time, Elaine Miller Kerr is signing off for Resiliency Within at Voice America. resiliency within. With host Elaine Miller-Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.